Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the Career and Culture podcast. And if you are a forward thinking, people centric leader, then you're absolutely in the right place. Through a combination of interview based episodes as well as solo episodes, I share practical tips on creating happier working environments. As people, we do like a certain degree of, of consistency. We like mm. to know what's going on. Change can be challenging. And yes, all of the cliches hold the really interesting stuff happens outside of your comfort zone. But does anybody really sign up for, you know, the 40, 50 hour a week, you know, thing in their life that bring, that pays the bills and keeps the roof over their head to, for that just to be upended? I'm not sure. So when I'm leading a change program and you see a group of people, it's not the ones down the back who have already decided that this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them. So not them. It's not the ones at the front telling you how to do it. And they're so down with the plan. They're there ahead of you. It's the ones in the middle who look a bit, a bit curious. They're the people, I think, where real change conversations can happen because they're sitting being honest saying okay could be good might be bad i just want to find out some more they're the ones who have meaningful questions they'll be the people who become your best change ambassadors so i kind of pick my middle crew and go okay these are my people i'm not sure any of us truly truly love change we might embrace it it's that whole you know learn how to surf rather than be afraid of the waves you can put all of the you know the posters up on the walls but we are still human um with all of the flaws Whether you are looking to strategically and more proactively manage your career or create a more positive work culture in your organisation, this is definitely the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My guest today is Caroline Collins, who is a highly experienced HR leader with a doctorate in cultural change. And we talk all things workplace culture. I think we can all agree that there's room for improvement in a lot of areas in relation to workplace culture. We talk about things like feedback, we talk about the foundational nature of what makes a really positive workplace culture, we talk about expectations, we talk about onboarding and the progress that we've made when it comes to workplace culture as well. So I so enjoyed this conversation, aside from the fact that Caroline is just an all-round nice human being. It was so nice to have this open discussion about workplace culture, and I know that you're going to enjoy today's episode. I would love for you to reach out to me directly. Let me know what you thought, what you took away from today's episode. All of my links and connections are on the website, happieratwork.ie, and I look forward to hearing from you. Caroline, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I know you're a long-term listener, a long-term fan. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. And I'm trying to even remember how we connected in the first place. I think it was like a random connection on LinkedIn, maybe. But I we think had it a was conversation. Your yeah. yeah. We had a conversation and you just couldn't shut the two of us up when we when we got into <laughs> a conversation. So it was brilliant. Um just a really nice alignment of, of values there, I think, as well. So do you want to explain a little bit about your work history and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, and thanks for having me on. I'm having that moment of long time, long time listener, first time caller. Yes, <laughs> <love> <laughs> radio <it. laughs> um, I My background is originally in psychology and I was always interested in how people's behaviour impact different parts of their lives. And it was very probably always going to end up in business somehow. But I went on and did a doctorate in culture change. And I think there's a lot of learnings from that that can be applied to now the world of work. It's it's funny when I started in my career and I was in my twenties, nobody knew quite what to do with the whole concept of culture and humans and working together in office. 
And it feels a post-pandemic, that conversation has really taken off where we're talking about the culture piece, we're talking about future work, we're talking about how people can be the best of themselves and bring their, their you know, the diversity piece, their full selves to work. Um, so it feels like finally it's come into its own. I've worked in HR for over 15 years at this stage. So everything from the public sector right the way through to startups and tech, mostly with a feel on health, um, biotechnology and pharma. But I also worked in management consultancy in the financial services sector. And to me, the massive learning and takeaway is the commonality. So, yes, sectors are different. Some of them are regulated. Some of them are not. Obviously, your commercial focus is different. But people showing up to a place of work and now, whether that's in a brick building or virtually, what they expect from work, how you motivate them, how you engage them. There's such commonality, I think, for as long as we're working with people, that that's really the, the piece that excites me. Mm. So is it is it to say really that we're all humans and no matter where you're showing up to work on a day to day basis, be that in a physical office, in a wherever you go to work or whether it's signing up uh, or signing in virtually that we're all people at the end of the day and yeah you know it's really understanding that across the board it's all the same and it's understanding and we'll get into that now in a second I think the this idea of using psychology and understanding human human behavior and applying that in the workplace to yeah. I was going to say to get the most from your people but that's not just about what it, what it's about it's about getting the most from your people but also creating that environment that people themselves are really happy to work there that they feel motivated that they feel fulfilled by the work that they yeah. do and at the end of the day the business sees results at the end you know at, as a result of that yeah and no, none of us just check our personalities or our stuff that might be going on in life or at home. We don't check that in a bag in the morning when we log on or when we walk into an office. And so some understanding as to how does that play a role? How does that motivate us? How does that impact performance for good and sometimes for bad? All of that understanding is, is important. What's interesting is that the transactional piece of companies getting the most from their people has very much changed in my experience over the last five five years in particular. I think some of that is linked to COVID. Some of it is linked to millennials and Gen Z coming into the workplace. And some of it has just linked to, I think, more sophisticated conversations around how do people work best? And that can't just be a one-way street. And I think the differentiator of good companies, good company culture versus those struggling to get talent, the ones who really get it, who really want to inspire and motivate their people, who want their people to show up and equally get something from the business as much as give to it. Those are the ones where the really good talent want to work and where they stay. Mm. And I suppose, you know, thinking about it, brilliant that there are some companies that are getting it right. But how do people find out that, that they are good places to work, I suppose? That's the real challenge. And I was I was thinking I was being a total nerd getting ready to chat to you today. I was thinking, could I think of even one part of the employee life cycle? from talent attraction through to onboarding, through to how you do performance management, to development plans, succession planning, the full spectrum of it, even how you offboard somebody whenever they choose in their career. And I can't think of a stage in that life cycle that culture doesn't impact. The challenge is how do we find out? And it always strikes me, you know, people go on Glassdoor, but you're happy people never end up on Glassdoor. The people who go there, go there more likely than not because they have had a poor experience. In some respects, OK, that's their prerogative to share. It doesn't necessarily help an employer brand because all of your happy staff aren't the ones talking on Glassdoor. So really how we leverage our networks, how we link in with people, 
who work in the company or who previously worked in any company, the questions you ask at an interview, because again, recruitment has become so much more of a two-way conversation of fit. So, you know, it's what can I bring to the company, but what can they do for me? And, you know, millennials are really, really good at that. You know, I've had interviews where people have walked in with a list. <laughs> you get to that question at the end of the interview. So do you have any questions for I've me? Like, Wait and they whip out a list. You're like, oh, whole new level. Um, but I think we're getting In better case at I forget anything that's on my list. I've, uh... Oh, yeah. And literally, and this very, really impressive woman worked her way through it and she had about 10 questions and we were like, yeah. OK, I can see that you've thought about this. That's impressive, you know. I was about to say, just to take a pause on that, that that's that's what you want from candidates, that they've done enough research that they know vaguely what the organisation is like to work with, that you've, you've looked at the website, you've seen what they say their values are. Yeah. But you've done like beyond that, like getting someone in a room and having the opportunity to speak to someone who works there and ask them questions about what, you know, what is the culture like and how do yeah. people get recognized? And, you know, we're not going to dwell on talking about what specific questions you could ask. Um, I'm, you know, as a slight aside, I'm thinking of for the podcast and the future of the podcast, how could I create tools based on each episode that could help people? And mm. maybe that's a tool that I can create. Here's a list of, you know, I was going to say 100 questions, maybe 100 is too many, but but something like yeah. 20 or 50 questions that you pick and choose and they're very generic and you need to tweak them slightly to your own situation, but yeah. that you can use in an interview situation to gauge whether or not somewhere is the the right place for you to work mm. because like you yeah. say it is a two-way street these days it's not all one way of you're there to be interviewed and to to show that you're the best person for the job but it's really yeah. to an a mutual understanding of this is the problem that you're here to solve and are you the right person to solve that problem yeah. and is this a good fit are you going to really thrive in this environment yeah. And I know you're a data nerd like me, but if you think about every single part of the recruitment process gives you data. So how do they set up the initial call? Oh, are yeah. you given flexibility on days of the week? So there are still and I, I know from previous experience when I was in and out of different cultures, but also talking to friends, there are still some companies who will say, well, the interviews are on Monday afternoon. And if you can't make it on a Monday afternoon, we'll just move on to the next candidate. That wow. tells you something that yeah. tells you something about how they value people, Yeah. whether interviews are online versus in person. So how open are they to hybrid? If you're saying, well, I have childcare arrangements, I can't travel in person. Could we do the initial hello? Who are you virtually? Is that a yes or a no? Are you greeted when you arrive? Walking into any business's reception tells you a huge amount about who they are mm. and not the kind of fake. I have, you know, four icons. We've all seen that, right? So the icons of the values stuck in the wall yeah, and you kind of just yeah, yeah. go, ah, the, la the latest set of them. But actually, how are you <laughs> greeted? Are people talking to each other? Are people yeah. slumping around looking like they're carrying the weight of the world versus do people look happy to be there? And that's the piece where I think once you plug the part of your brain in that is culture is everywhere and it's not the the policy that's written in the drawer it's yeah. how work actually comes to life how people behave how they're recognized how they're valued and you start seeing that from the minute you start in a recruitment process right the way through to even at the end how you're off boarded all yeah. of that is important i was having a conversation with someone quite recently and i don't know how i don't really remember how this came up but it was the idea that and just me kind of flippantly saying that when you are in that situation and you are looking for a job and I've been there that you're kind of I, desperate is the wrong word but you're kind of you have that feeling that 
I don't have that many options and Mm -hmm. maybe then your spidey senses are a little bit less perceptive to things that that may you may have noticed if you were in a comfortable position already and I think maybe that's a challenge for some people when they're when they're in an environment where they're like listen I have to get out of here and I have to get out really soon it makes it much more difficult to find something aside from the fact that you're feeling a bit burned and I've been like I say I've been there you you, Mm. you're kind of looking for something new but you've had a terrible experience in the past and you don't want to make that same mistake again I think that's just another layer that people need to be aware of that if you're looking for something you need to make sure that it's really the right thing for you and that you're not making kind of rash decisions that you've done your Mm -hmm. homework that you're asking all of the right questions rather than being afraid to ask those questions in case it unearths something that you don't want to hear because you're so kind of keen to get out of, of the situation that you're in at the moment um, and I think it's not just you. If I look at people I've worked with again on the, so I, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching and people generally, but women in particular coming back after mat leave, career pivot points, if you're changing direction or if you're moving from that first role where you've been maybe a manager into becoming a leader, there's lots of places. So for sure, job searching is one of them, but there are also lots of points where people nearly feel trigger shy. And a lot of the coaching and the conversation I have with, with people is how how do you, recognize and sit with the fact that you're trigger shy and whatever experience you've had whether it's a poor employment experience or you've been out of the workforce for a reason or lots of people now take you know caring responsibilities and they're going back or they're changing careers post-pandemic recognize it sit with it but then also free up a part of your headspace to see okay how do I truly create kind of space to hear my gut instinct because Mm -hmm. in my experience if you know if I look back at the things that have gone well and gone badly and certainly I don't think anyone has a career where everything's gone well no it's your gut instinct steers you and I think when you allow space to hear that yeah and you know see what's around you in that process that that you're better positioned so I think some of the time it's just about hitting the pause button I'm a woman who doesn't know how to hit the pause button usually well so (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else yeah no it's interesting that's brought up a few things for me now this idea of like they're kind of pivotal change points where you don't want Mm. to rock the boat and you're kind of afraid to speak up and uh, maybe ask the questions that need to be asked or like you say to to really listen to your gut and one of the previous podcast episodes with Kelly Thompson she was talking about women in particular we're so used to suppressing how we feel that yeah. we're and you know be that in lots and lots of different scenarios that you don't really know what your gut is you you're not trained to listen to it and really if you take that pause if you really take time to practice listening to it, then it won't steer you wrong. Um, yeah. But for any, you know, I'm probably butchering the entire episode now, but but Kelly had a really nice way of explaining that. So I'll put a link to that previous episode in the show notes. Um, but yeah, like that we've basically been ignoring our gut for so long that it makes it really hard to get back into the habit of, of knowing what it is yeah. and being able to trust it as well. Yeah. And it's it's funny. I, I heard that episode as well. And it's in my timeline, it came up on the back of a quote that Meryl Streep had of women have learned how to speak man for decades. Mm, we yeah. have had to in order to exist, whether it's in the corporate world or in her case, in you know show business. Men have not necessarily learned how to speak women. Some, some of them do, not all of them. But I think because we're so used to morphing into that shape that fits the expectation, we don't always pay attention to what it is that we want or need in career paths. And I think an awful lot of the career planning and the development piece, 
women in leadership, all of all of that diversity area now focuses on, OK, it's OK to ask for what you want. And mm. yes, you can ask in a certain way, but you have to be clear yourself because that's how you get motivated. That's how you get to be truly passionate about a job you love. And then you show up and you give your best and you're valued and, and all of the good stuff follows. Mm. Caroline, I'd love to come back and talk to you a bit more about the doctorate research that you did around cultural change. What were the kind of key insights that you found? I suppose the one thing that strikes me and it's easy to say is that we don't all love we don't all love change. We're humans. Mm. I get very suspicious of people who and again, culturally, so North America versus Europe versus, you know, APAC, people will talk about change differently. I, I always get a little nervous. People go, oh, I'm changed. I can't wait. I'm just so up for you. Kind of go, oh, okay. If you put me in front. So I've done some really big change management programs with different businesses. And the ones who are up the front who tend to be the gung-ho of I'm so up for the change. I'm here. I'm, and a lot of lingo and slang kind of comes with it. And they tend to take up lots of space. You know, there's a certain personality. They, they kind of make me nervous because as people, we do like a certain degree of, of consistency. We like mm. to know what's going on. Change can be challenging. And yes, all of the cliches hold the really interesting stuff happens outside of your comfort zone. But does anybody really sign up for, you know, the 40, 50 hour a week, you know, thing in their life that bring, that pays the bills and keeps the roof over their head to, for that just to be upended? I'm not sure. Never mm. really convinced that people sign up for that. So when I'm leading a change program and you see a group of people it's not the ones down the back who have already decided that this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them. So not them. It's not the ones at the front telling you how to do it. And they're so down with the plan. They're there ahead of you. It's the ones in the middle who look a bit curious. They're the people, I think, where real change conversations can happen because they're sitting being honest, saying, OK, could be good, might be bad. I just want to find out some more. They're the ones who have meaningful questions. They'll be the people who become your best change ambassadors. Yeah. Um. So I kind of pick my middle crew and go, okay, these are my people. and We can work together on whatever the conversation or in change yeah. is. I'm not sure any of us truly, truly love change. We might embrace it. It's that whole, you know, learn how to surf rather than be afraid of the waves. You can put all of the, you know, the posters up on the walls, but we are still human Um. with all of the flaws. I think I'm a bit anti-change myself. I like, so sorry, no, I'll, 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 rephrase that i love continuous improvement but yeah. like big change projects that i've been involved in i say involved in use that lightly because it's more been at the receiving end of in an organization not consulted just like here's the change that we've already decided to make at a global level now go and roll it out um, yeah very very difficult and like especially when you don't agree with the change that's been rolled out yeah. But what I was going to say a second ago, Caroline, have you seen the meme where it says who wants change and everyone puts their hand up and then who wants to change and no one puts their hand up. <laughs> so all those hands come down. We want yeah. other people to change and to kind of fit our mold and to fit our way of doing things. But oftentimes yeah. we're reluctant to make those changes for ourselves. So brilliant, really interesting about culture change. And I suppose maybe culture more generally speaking, I'd love to get your perspective on the different organizations that you've that you've worked in over the years and whether it's been a culture change project, which I'd be really interested to hear about as well, or just generally speaking culture, what what do you see works well, especially kind of going back to our earlier point of it's really we're all people at the end of the day. And mm. it's about understanding our behaviors and what motivates us and what helps us to feel fulfilled at work and to do our best work to feel happy while at the mm. same time being in line with that organization and that organization really succeeding as well. Yeah, I think there. Go back to your meme. 
there is the cliche of, you know, culture is how we do things around here. And I think that's that is the best summary I have still to date heard. Yeah. It's not the policy in the drawer. It how it's how it comes to life. And it's everything from is it okay to ask questions? Is it okay to make mistakes? When change, you describe change being done to you or at you as against a conversation happening. That's culture. Culture is how do we give feedback? So I know when I worked with some of the tech businesses, a lot of them were really keen on a continuous feedback loop for performance. And that's a really, really great idea. But it unearthed questions around who legitimately can give feedback and how do you make sure that feedback is useful? Because we've all sat in, the, sat in those performance meetings where they're just soul destroying and you walk out two feet tall thinking you're the worst person on the face of the planet. And an awful lot of the time, that's about how the manager or the leader has given the feedback rather than the substance of the feedback. It's who it's it's that piece where what's the difference between feedback versus gossip? Because if you look up one of the indicators of toxic culture, for example, one of the in all of this, the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, all of the research around it would say, you know, gossiping in an office setting kind of above and beyond the normal kind of human level of interaction is one of the indicators of toxic culture. So when does feedback stop being feedback and when does it start being gossip? I think those are really intricate questions that managers and leaders need to ask themselves. And that's the piece around your leadership impact, your communication style, how you bring culture to life in a really meaningful way for people. So it's it's that full spectrum of what is it like to be in a company? So if I'm in sales, what does success look like? If I'm looking at career planning, how what culture do we have around what is a stretch objective? What does good look like if we talk about a high performing culture? How do we support people through mental health or diversity or caring responsibilities? How do we onboard new job starters? And that came up a lot in the pandemic of people starting their first job remotely where you know, the first conversation they had was probably how you do a flat pack desk because there was nobody else. I spent half through COVID. I seem And to who spend, can I hire I, to do this for me? <laughs> yeah. And they're not going to come, by the way, because there's lockdown. So I did spend a good six weeks in the middle of COVID talking to people about how to put together desks. And um, I thought I was moonlighting for Ikea for a while. Um, but all of that is the piece around culture and an awful lot of the issues, the points of friction where either I've been brought in on a project or I'm coaching somebody and they raise issues of poor experiences they've had. An awful lot of those points of friction come down to differential expectations of what do I what do I need as the employee versus what am I getting? And manager or leader capability. And I'm still not sure that culture and inclusivity and really good, strong communication and empathy are things that we train for in leaders. And I think that's something that that could have a real impact as we move forward. There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> so much to unpack there, Caroline, that I'm curious about and I want to ask more questions. Can we start, first of all, with this idea of feedback? Who should be giving mm. feedback and how can we make feedback a bit more useful and performance reviews? Now, I don't want to kind of dwell on this whole thing of performance reviews. That can be a topic for a whole other podcast episode. Yeah. But I suppose just boiling it down and, and sharing an insight from my own experience that I had a, a manager who didn't rate me at all. Like, I mean, we just had this terrible relationship and I went into the performance review and he gave me not a glowing review, but definitely way better than I thought. And it made me think that he just didn't want to have that conversation with me about why I wasn't performing. And that yeah. was on him. Like, maybe I'm totally wrong about that, but that's the impression I got at the time. I was really surprised, but also happy that he he 
had given me this <laughs> positive performance yeah. review for want of a better word rather than a totally negative one which was which was what I was expecting mm. I that's that's really interesting because I think when any of, any of us have gone through performance you get the sweaty hands you go oh my god I'm gonna to have to talk about myself and that's just awful but the piece that we see much less often is that managers very often feel uncomfortable because there is that moment of even giving good news. So Irish people are awful at taking compliments. So even how do I tell you in any kind of impactful way that you've done a good job? So we don't love giving good feedback, but we also then get very uncomfortable at talking about development. And I think a lot of it depends on what kind of experience you've had. We all have our own baggage of the most excellent leaders who have sat with us, who have made us better people. And I think for me, and I can think of one who I worked with and she was amazing. I knew her intent was positive. So she was coming to me with, here's stuff you're good at, keep going, grand. Now, here's stuff you can do differently. And it didn't feel personal. I didn't yeah. feel like a bad person leaving that conversation. I felt like somebody believed in me, they wanted better for me, and they were going to help me figure that out. Yeah. But it's because we came from that foundation of we knew each other, we had stuff in common, there was a baseline relationship, it was filled with respect. And I knew, even if she had a foot and mouth moment, because we're all human, it was still a case that her intent was positive. Yeah. And it was kind and it came with that kindness and empathy and those we call them softer skills when actually they're quite hard to deliver some yeah. of the time. But that nearly got us through any kind of difficult conversation. And I think sitting when I when I talk to leaders and do work with executives, an awful lot of it is about that of you're human. The person you're talking to is human. You have to kind of realize that it's not yeah. you going in with a clipboard and ranking people and don't get me started on you know you're a one to a five or an a to an e in terms of yeah. rating people but then it's the having the conversation as well caroline like it's, the oh yeah. well we can't have too many people getting a five rating because that's you know not everyone is a five and yeah. and then comparing people to each other like just horrific and like I, I will that is on my list to do a whole other separate solo episode all about performance reviews and kind of pulling the curtain behind and sharing some of my own experiences as well mm. on that because I think it's it's so important I'd love to come back to this amazing boss that you had and ask did like how did you know that her intent was positive I suppose because I think a lot of us think that we're going into these conversations with positive intent or maybe the intent is listen I just have to get out get this over with and uh, I have to deliver this terrible feedback that is not coming directly from me it's actually on behalf of someone else and it's mm. just really awkward how did you, what made the difference for her that that you knew that her intent was positive I think um so her name is Julie and she, she she'll die of embarrassment because we're still friends and that's a testament and worked together in you know 10-12 years she made a point of getting to know her team as people and that meant, you know, and I don't mean in the, the false way of, you know, oh, you know, do you do yoga on a Friday? But she actually wanted to get to know us. What do you want? What motivates you? And she shared, here's where I'm coming from. Here's my background. Mm. You know, she had recently moved home. She was in a new relationship. She brought herself to work. So there was a base, a baseline of we're people and we want to get to know each other. She also has this really nifty knack of being direct without being harsh. Yeah. So there was no messing around. You knew if she told you it was good, it was good. If she told you it needed to be done better, it needed to be done better. So she didn't mince her words. And she also said she she verbalized a lot of what was in her head. So she would start by saying, I want the best for you. Here, I think you can do better here. So all of the unspoken stuff that you're sitting in a room with, she actually put words on. And then over time, obviously that develops trust and respect. And you see her 
delivering that for herself. She is somebody who sought out feedback about how she was doing. So it was a true kind of two way conversation. And I think that's how very quickly she established her credibility where Julie could land the worst news possible, whether it was about a client account or something that had really, really gone wrong. And it would still be okay. Mm. And she made made a point, I think, of following up afterwards and she minded the relationship because, you know, we're going to have to do this tomorrow. So there's no point in people going home so horribly embarrassed or so horribly broken that they physically don't want to show up tomorrow or the Sunday night blues test of are you sitting on a couch on a Sunday racked with, oh, my God, I can't go back to work. That's, a, you know, that's kind of a test of culture. Or do we all get to be OK coming back to working together the next time around? And yeah. that's where she invested such huge time and energy. So. Love yeah, I think that. she's a rock star. I'm yeah. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening today. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. I love that. And some really practical tips, I think, for people to take away on, on what it really means to be a leader. Because like you were saying, we're talking more broadly about culture, but actually the really important piece to that is the, the leader's role. And a big crucial mm. part of the leader's role is the development of the staff. And a big crucial part of that is feedback. Now, something else, Caroline, that you mentioned in relation to that is feedback versus gossip. So what's feedback yeah. versus what's gossip? And gossip is a sure sign that you're in a toxic work environment. And I've been in that situation where there there is gossip and even like finding out that people were gossiping about me or here's a here's a prime example mm. where I went to speak to someone who was a colleague and came back to my desk and found um, an instant message that was very obviously meant for someone else. Oh. But the person got confused and sent it to me by accident, oh, which was, no. yeah, you know, and to read something like that, it was the implication was that I was trying to throw someone under the bus when so obviously they had taken my intention to be completely wrong and but then took it upon themselves to start spreading that gossip around just literally just after having the conversation so yes good. gossip back to gossip gossip back to gossip <laughs> i think you know there's a certain piece where i once you put once you put people in a room we're going to talk about each other so there's a there's a level of social interaction that you wouldn't want to kill i'm not i'm not advocating for politically correct work environments where nobody says anything ever i think to me the difference is and i, I i'm sure this won't necessarily be the most popular view some of the new um, HRIS tools or online systems where people can give an instant shout out to colleagues. And it, this has been lauded as the way you build real engagement and the way you give real time motivational um, feedback. They make me a little nervous because if anybody can talk about anything any of the time, I guess the question becomes, how do you then equip people to do that responsibly? So it's great. About, and one of the systems I think has, a, you know, you can give a colleague a high five for, for doing a good job. Or you can give them a shout out for doing a good job. The notion that in notionally, theoretically, that's super. Practically speaking, it becomes fodder for some of the behaviors we would have seen when we were in school. So, you know, if you're always getting the high fives or the shout outs and I'm not, am I left out? Does that mean I'm ostracized? Yeah. Is it that my work is less visible? Is there favoritism at play? I think it unearths all of this, for want of a better word, stuff around human interaction. I think to me, feedback is very clearly defined if you're in a leadership position, if you're working on a project cross-functionally, if you are a peer and you have something to say, be it good, bad or indifferent, it needs a structure. You need to put a scaffold around what is feedback so that there are parameters that everybody understands. They might not like them. You know, we don't have to love stuff in order to be clear on it, but there needs to be kind of a safe space and a scaffold around feedback. And if it is not that, 
then it is something else. And if it's and, and chances are it's something like gossip. So if I'm talking about you as a person and I have no legitimate reason to, if I'm not talking about the work that you've done or your skills or capabilities or how you added value, if that's not what I'm doing, I think a conversation needs to be had and ideally with by a leader to say, what's going on here? So yeah. what tone are you trying to set and why do you understand the impact it can have? Mm. And to me, gossip is one of those things that you kill really, really quickly. Yeah. Quite unashamedly, because it is the piece that can run away and become really, really damaging in a culture. And that's we need to be really clear. That's not feedback. That's just gossip. And it's that the nastier end of the spectrum where I think some direct conversations need to be had. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things I'd love to, to pick up on there. This feeling of being left out or like, why am I not getting any of the high fives? Why am I not? Why am I not being recognized? My work is becoming less visible. I never thought about that from from that perspective. Now, I've seen it in action where we used to recognize people for living the values. And I'm kind of like, someday I'm going to get recognized. Why am I not being recognized? Is it because yeah. I'm in a leadership position and I can't, which in itself is is kind of ridiculous. It's like you should be able to be recognized just in the same way that, that everyone else is recognized. Um, but that's a really interesting kind of nuance to those technologies where mm. it can make fe- people feel a little bit left out a little bit like they're being excluded if they're not getting that regular recognition and if people are kind of grouping together almost and and forming that and and kind of building on this point of gossip and and killing gossip quickly i suppose it's it's hinging on the fact that you know about it in the first place that you catch someone in the act or that you're the recipient of gossip and you can safely share that with someone else who can do something about it or just simply say i do not want to take part in in these kinds of conversations that goes against yeah. our values of respect as a as a business yeah and i think to me so hr hat on when i'm working with a business that's where i i like to be really close to the business so that i have visibility of how things actually are in the ground so that myself or, or a hr team are close to them I think that's kind of your functional responsibility. Our responsibility is any adult working in a workplace. If you hear gossip, it is up to you to be the yeah. one to close it down. If you're hearing it and it's not comfortable and you think about, well, if I heard that said about me, how would I feel? Yeah. If, if all of that doesn't go well, then you have a responsibility. I think that's that's one of the core values you can bring to life going back to that conversation and culture where your expectation of people is if something doesn't sit well with you, if it's, if it's not right, if you don't think it's fair, if you wouldn't want to be the recipient of it, you know, nobody's going to come and save you. You're standing there. You're the one who has to speak up. And I think that's a really good sign of a healthy culture when people can do that. Yeah, that was another point that I wanted to come back to is this idea of expectations. And I love how you described it as it's it's this idea of how are my needs being met as an individual and what are my expectations of how those needs are are being met and I think oftentimes a big source of unhappiness is the differential between what we expect something to provide or how we expect something to be and how it actually is and so if we can set those really clear expectations about what it's like to work here what it should be like to work here bridge that gap if there's a, a gap between what we want it to be like and what it actually is like and um, yeah. but then then this idea of having managers and leaders who are capable to drive that to have those conversations to set those really clear expectations to nip it in the bud if there's anything that is untoward for want of a better word so things like gossip and just people not living in accordance with the with the values of the organization 
Mm. I think there's two there's two things to pull out of what you you said. The first is the unspoken. So yeah. to me, the big piece is unless it's next week's lotto numbers, in which case, by all means, we should share them. But, you know, there shouldn't be mystery in this process. So yeah. overall in work, it's the unspoken. It's about making sure that there is less unspoken stuff that people are clear, because that's where expectations can be out of kilter, because I have this set of things I expect. I haven't said them to anybody. They're in my head. But I yeah. expect you to fulfill them nonetheless. And when you don't, I feel bruised. It's a case of naming them and for there to be dedicated or allocated space in the conversation for that so i think take away the mystery is step one the other piece and it's it's i have an agenda structure so anybody who's worked with me will know i structure our kind of catch-up agendas the good the bad and the awkward you talk about the stuff that's gone well the stuff where you know there's challenges or deadline hasn't been met or something has been done differently and then you specifically put an agenda item called the awkward and it's where you bring the stuff that nobody wants to talk about and it's the you know it's the cringy stuff if i saw this thing happen or i wasn't comfortable with how this got but by naming it and allocating time like we can sit here for 10 minutes and we can be quiet or we can use the time to to fill and we can chat and we can be the awkward is where people get to bring their stuff and i think that's how you establish psychological safety and trust it's where you expect irrespective of seniority or experience or otherwise people can bring issues that are sitting poorly with them have a conversation it stays in the room and that's where you begin to unpack okay is my expectation out kilter is this the kind of company we are is this thing that we've seen not aligned to values and therefore we need to address it was this just a one-off because you know bob is a great guy and he's not he's lovely he was just having a really bad day yeah. and we kind of need to check is he okay but it still wasn't right. So having that space and naming it as awkward, I think, gives people permission to say, OK, you're not going to love this part of the meeting. We're still going to do it. It's going to be awkward for everybody, but it's we're going to be better for having done it. I think that's yeah. important. I love that as a as a framework or as a an agenda. Um, just <laughs> it can be like fun. What space. people call awkward can get interesting. But yeah, <laughs> make a space for those awkward conversations, because I think you hit the nail on the head, Caroline. It, it's taking the mystery away, isn't it? It's less of the unspoken. And we sometimes assume that people can read our minds and yeah. that our expectations are really clear. Now, I'm learning more and more about this as I bring people into work with me on my business that I haven't. I assume that people would just look at what I've done previously and just know how it gets done. But it's that's not the case. Like it, it takes effort. It takes time to explain to people um, like I have tools that help me to do that, which is brilliant as well. But taking away that unspoken or at least having those things in place where it's really clear what the expectation is. And I love mm. talking about expectations when it comes to productivity and things as well. So setting yeah. really clear expectations around time and quality that is expected. And I think if we just get that out on the table rather than assuming like I think and I'm thinking back again to some instances where I had where it's just you start in a role and it's almost like sink or swim. You have yeah. access to the intranet uh, to do a bit of research on the company and the different departments and what they do. Maybe you have some meetings with the departments, but they're kind of meaningless because you're not really sure what your role is in the organization yeah. yet. And like the expectations are not really very clear at all. And I think that just continues as you do your role. You learn on the job. And you create your own expectations almost. Mm. Yeah. And I think we're 
we're really good at asking very senior leaders and it's become that you know politics cliche that's transferred over to business of what will you do in your first hundred days and I nearly cringe when I hear it because you're like well you know the first the first listen. 30 you're going to say nothing and listen yeah. hopefully remember your own name we're really good at asking them what they'll do in their first 100 days we don't necessarily cascade that down so one of the, the things I've worked on with teams is within the first two weeks of anybody starting they should know they should get KPIs or OKRs or whatever it is you're working to yeah. there should be a list and maybe one of them is get to know the company or go buddy up with somebody and find out about whatever the project is or whatever the area of work is but from the start it should be clear this is what good looks like you won't know it from the start we will help you and equip you and support you to get there, but you should be really clear where you're pointing because yeah. none of us can be good if we don't know where we're going. It's, you know, that's like me heading out without Google Maps. I'd be doing circles around Athlon. So it's more, I think, naming it and being clear and making sure it's attainable. So there can be all of the stretch stuff, but even within somebody's first month, and I think there's a reluctance for, oh, you can't set annual KPIs when somebody's in the door. Of course you can. You just, you tailor them and you tweak them so that they mm. have a roadmap. Yeah. And that takes out some of the mystery. It also means you can have a concrete conversation of stuff that's on track and off track and you're not having the vague conversations. So, so how are you settling in where, you know, how, how do you even begin to answer that question? It can be a case of, you know, have you buddied up? Have you sat with somebody on the project? Do you know where the stuff you need to do your jobs or the online tools? Do you know where that is? What do you think you can bring? What's your expectation of what you're going to get yeah. from your first month? Ask the question. I think that clarity is important from day one and sets the tone. And it also, it implies really clearly that it's okay to want to be clear, to ask questions, to figure things out. Yeah. It sets a space where from the start, you know that that's a good thing. And it it allows for ramp up time as well. Like you're not yeah. expected to come in and hit the ground running in a new organization when you don't know the people, you don't know the systems and, and things like that. Something occurred to me as you were talking, Caroline, and that is asking people who are new to a role for feedback as well, you know, yeah. and like, how are we doing? And have we given you enough information to be able to oh, yeah. do your job or to set you up for success or to onboard you properly? All yeah. of these things, I think, are, are so, But so I come important. back, that's gold dust. And I think the good companies, again, positive cultures come back to where we started. Really good companies get that. They're, that's feedback you can't buy because all of the team that's been there. So it takes takes about between nine and 11, would average about 11 weeks for a dominant culture to kind of take over your newbies. So you can mm. take a new person or a new team, embed them in an organization and 11 weeks later, whatever your dominant culture is, they will have begun behaving like that. And that is proven time and time and time again. So you you lose that window within the first three months of people having that external lens. If you make yeah. a point of asking people at day five and at week five and at week nine, I, I think are good kind of sensible data points that I've used. How are we doing? Not about you, but how are we doing? What can we do more? What can we do better? Yeah. How did we did we live up to our promise? So you read this job ad at one point in time. You chose to come and interview. You got the job. Brilliant news. We all celebrated. Have we lived up to that? And if not, is it better, worse, different? What's going on? And I think, you know, companies pay a huge amount for market research and net promoter scores and employee surveys. And all of that is really useful. But there's a wealth of information sitting within their new starters while they still have that external lens yeah. that lots of times we just don't ask for. And to me, yeah. that's just, just a massive waste. And I think that's yeah. where you can show your people you're valued. You, you value them and you're you're listening to them from the start. Yeah. And I, I was told, and I'm sure I've covered this on the podcast before, but that's not how we do things around here. <laughs> that's what I was told yeah. when I was bringing some new ideas, some fresh ideas into 
the organization. That's not how we do things around here. And it's like, right, <laughs> I don't think I ever open my mouth again. You know, yeah. it just puts that, that's you off, so destroying. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, I'm like, OK, so this global experience that I've spent years building up is not valuable where I am. So that's good to know. Caroline, we've kind of covered lots of different ground, but all relating to back to this topic of culture. Any final thoughts or is there anything that we haven't necessarily covered on culture that you'd like to get across in the podcast today? I think the thing that strikes me, no matter what the size of the business I've worked with or where it's based or the sector it's in, is that there's been massive progress in that we are now talking about culture. And that's that, you know, tick that box. It's brilliant. And that isn't something I would have spotted seven to 10 years ago. There still remains an awful lot to do around what we mean by culture because it's become one of those words that we throw around with future of work and we're all saying it. I'm not convinced we all mean the same thing. And I think investing time in working out what do we mean? What do we want? What works for us? Because one culture will work for a business and for a set of employees and it won't work for another. And everybody can find their place in some role where they add value. But cultures are different and they need to be. But I, I actually think investing the time and unpacking that and exploring it and seeing how do we line up our culture with our commercial objectives, with our people objectives and make sure everything is leveraged to best capacity is, is the next stage of bringing it to life, I think. And as we look to future work and, and what company success looks like. Brilliant. I love that. And you had that kind of famous quote earlier, the cliche, as you were talking about, like culture is how we do things around here. Like I love yeah. that as a culture and and maybe you don't have clearly defined values. That's OK. You still have a culture, though, because it's how yeah. people are doing things. And if they're not checked, if people are not uh, if people are not being pulled up on what is perceived as a poor behavior, then you're going to find yourself like slippery slope into gossip and toxic culture, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's everybody's really, business. HR isn't the culture yes, police. Exactly. <laughs> I don't come is, with a Wonder yeah, Woman yeah. outfit. You know, it's, yeah. it's more that it's everybody's responsibility. But that being a shared objective and identifying it as a shared objective, I think, is the next iteration of employee engagement and employee experience. It's about being more explicit about investing time and resources and energy and culture. Yeah, I love that. Caroline, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, and you'll know because you're a long time <laughs> listener, what does being happier at work mean to you? I think for me, it's recognizing that that has changed over time and being okay with that. Mm. And for me right now, it's making sure that I can add value to your point on, you know, you've gotten this wealth of experience, but you're still only halfway through a career. So how do you, how do you make sure it's useful? Um, and having that space where you can be yourself and make the positive difference, but still learn. To me, that's the the happy Zen zone of adding value, but also still being able to, to learn and grow and develop. That's that's happy to me. I love it. And if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about you and what you do, what's the best place they can do that? They can find me on LinkedIn where they'll find all of the work, work stuff. Um, if they're interested in year round swimming or sunsets, they'll find me on Twitter or X. Um, I'm at Coffee and Swim, but mostly LinkedIn is where they'll hear all about the culture and HR stuff. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you so much, Caroline, for your time today. I absolutely loved this conversation. And there's so many practical things that people can implement straight away after listening. It's been really good, Aoife. Thank you. 
That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. And I really hope today's episode resonated with you. If you did enjoy today's episode, I'd love for you to take a couple of minutes or even a couple of seconds to leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really does mean the world to me. As always, if you want to connect with me, you'll find all of my links on the website happieratwork.ie. 